Thank you guys for being here tonight. I hope that that you really dig into the Word with us this evening. Uh, But let's just stop and and pray for a moment. Would you join me? Father, we do pause because there are so many good things that people have shared. So many blessings. So many uh, answered prayers. So many things, Lord, where you have providentially provided or protected. And so, Lord, we pause just to acknowledge that every good thing comes from above. We pause today, to uh, this evening, to acknowledge that we are indeed needy people. Uh, and you are indeed a gracious God. And a giving God. And a loving God. And I thank you for your blessings. But Lord, we also recognize that life is not always filled with blessings. That there are some times that are very difficult. There are some times when we don't understand, times when we wrestle, times when we have inner turmoils and struggles. And so we pray now that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would open the word, open our minds, open our ears, open our heart, so that these, your people, can hear from you. And I ask it in Christ's name, amen. All right, have your Bibles. Let's open God's Word to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. I hope that you've got an outline. If not, they're still available. And tonight I want to talk to you about inner struggles that drain. Remember now, we're in this series called Replenish. And let's rehearse again. What does the word replenish mean? Somebody help me with that. What, What is, when you hear the word replenish, what does that bring to your mind? Resupply, that's good, Max, somebody else. Refill, very good. I like it when we go to a restaurant and the waitress replenishes my drink, don't you? Because I, I don't know about you, I'm one of those, I take a bite, I take a drink, I take a bite, I take a drink. And so I need the waitress to replenish, to refill my drink. Now, now sometimes in life, we get drained. Sometimes in life, we need to be replenished, and I've told you that really the Psalms were written in large part, part of the reason for the Psalms was because they were written either about those people who needed to be replenished, by those people who needed to be replenished, and they recognized that the place where they are replenished was in their relationship with God. The Psalms were written uh, as praise, they, they, they were written as, as direction and teaching, but many times were written about people who were drained people who were empty, people who needed to be replenished. Psalm 63, if you look on your, your notes there, in Psalm, oh, I'm sorry, Psalm 73, in Psalm 73, the psalmist reveals the whole realm of emotion he goes through as he wrestles with his bitter experiences. He, he was hurting. His pain and questions were real. His troubles were numerous and harsh. Things happened to him that he could not understand. His inner struggles drained him. His inner struggles drained him. Now, before we read what happened to him, I want to practice what, we, what I said this morning, what I asked you to do, the challenge that I gave you. I gave you a challenge that when you read the Word of God this week, to say out loud before you read it, this is what? God breathed. And so 
I want you to stand, and we're going to read Psalm 73 in honor of God's Word. Would you stand, and before we, you, uh, we read it, because it is rather long, 28 verses, I want you to say this out loud with me. This is God breathed. Would you say it together? This is surely God, verse 1, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil uh, conceits of their minds know no limit. They scoff and speak with malice. In their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain. Have I washed my hands in innocence? All day long I have been plagued. I have been punished every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it was oppressive to me. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Thank you. Amen. It's kind of interesting when you look at this psalm and and you recognize, as we said a moment ago, that this psalm is God-breathed. But that does not mean that when the, the author of this psalm wrote it, that he was sitting in an ivory tower free from problems. It's interesting that this psalm was written from from the perspective of a man who was complaining. It was written from the perspective of a man that was embittered. It was written from the perspective of a man who was struggling inwardly with what he saw God doing. Was it God-breathed? How can it be God-breathed if this man is complaining against God? Well, here's the answer. 
Uh, God used the personalities. In, in, in writing all of Scripture, God used the personalities and the experiences of the individuals. Uh, you see, God did not dictate the word. God didn't say, oh, okay, Paul, Paul, write this down. He didn't say, uh, David, write this down. He, now, there is a dictation theory. I just do not hold to that. The reason I don't hold to the dictation theory of inspiration is because when I read Paul, it sounds like Paul. And when I read Peter, it sounds like Peter. And when I read David, it sounds like David. If God dictated it, it would sound all the same. So I do not hold to the dictation theory of inspiration. I don't think that God dictated the Scripture. And if He had dictated the Scripture, we would have a hard time explaining Psalm 73. Because here's a man that's struggling with God. Here's a man that's angry with God. So that would be hard to dictate that. I do hold to the verbal plenary view of inspiration. The verbal plenary view of inspiration, the word verbal simply means all the words. I I believe all the words of God are inspired, that every word of God is inspired. Plenary means full, that, that the words are inspired, not just the ideas, and the full text is inspired, not just parts of it. So that, that is my view of inspiration of Scripture. Verbal plenary, and if, you, if you're taking notes, want to write it down, it's P-L, P-L-E-N-A-R-Y. Verbal, again, means the words are inspired, not just the ideas. Plenary means full or complete, that the entire Bible is inspired, not just parts of it. And the reason I bring that up is because the verbal plenary theory of inspiration basically has the idea that the writers use their own personalities, their own experiences in life to write out of. They wrote about the things they experienced. They wrote about the things that they went through. And yet God in His sovereignty and God in His providence used their experiences in life, used their, uh, the, the feelings that they endured, and, and God instructed them to write. It's, it's almost as if, if I could put it this way, it's almost as if God said to the writer of Psalm 73, you need to write that down. Somebody's going to need that one day. I know that you're feeling this way. I know you're struggling with this. I want you to write that down. Because there's some other people who are going to feel what you're feeling. There's some other people who are going to struggle with what you're struggling with. And God inspired the writer of Psalm 73 to write it. Now, I want you to look at the top of Psalm 73. If you've got any kind of notes on your Bible, above Psalm 73, there should be a notation there. And again, this is a Sunday night Bible study. This is not a sermon, so talk back to me. Uh, Above Psalm 73, there's a notation. What is the notation in your Bible? Okay, say that again. Psalm of who? Asaph. Psalm of Asaph. Is there anything above that? Book 3, God's ways vindicated, okay, is, all right, all right, say that again, celebrating the sovereignty of God, okay, has anybody ever noticed before, have you ever noticed that the Psalms are divided into books, do you know how many books there are in the Psalms, there are five, The Psalms are divided into five. How many Psalms are there, by the way? 150. Now, I want to see if you remember my pet peeve. If If it's the whole group of them, we refer to them as Psalms. If it's 
Psalm, well, I gave it away, didn't I? (laughs) If it's one, we refer to it as a psalm, all right? So what's this whole book thing about? Let me explain this real quickly. I think I've shared this once before, but let me explain it real quickly. Uh, Because Psalm 73 is part of a new section in the Psalms. Uh, The five books of the Psalms are similar to the Pentateuch, the five books of the Old Testament. In fact, in some Bibles, you will see a name listed. Uh, For example, you'll see book one, Genesis, book two, Exodus, book three, Leviticus, book four, Numbers, book five, Deuteronomy. Has anybody got that in your Bible? Okay. But you will see it in some some, uh, Bibles. So here, let me give you the breakdown. Again, there's no place to put this on your notes. Just jot it down. Psalms 1 through 41 are about man, and they're called Genesis. That's book one. Book two is Psalms 42 through 72, and they are essentially Psalms about deliverance, and they're called Exodus. Psalm 73 through 89 is book three. The sanctuary is predominant in that psalm, and you'll see that in, as we read it in a moment, and that's called Leviticus. That's book three, and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, the first psalm in book three. Uh, psalm 90 through 106 is book four. Those are psalms about wandering, about being un, in, in unrest, and that's the book of Numbers. And book five is Psalm 107 to 150, and the focus in those psalms is on the Word of God. And that's the book Deuteronomy. Think of it in this, these terms, just like there are different types of hymns in the hymnal. You know, you've got a hymnal, but there's different kinds of hymns in the hymnal. Uh, there are different kinds of psalms. Some are psalms of praise. Some are psalms of lament. Some are penitential psalms. Some are messianic psalms. Uh, but they all together form a collection of hymns and laments and songs of praise. All right, so that's just kind of an introduction. Psalm 73, a psalm of who? You told me once before, a psalm of Asaph. Let me tell you a little bit about him because that really sets the stage for our study tonight. Asaph, the author, is identified. Uh, Asaph was a Levite. Anybody know what a Levite was or what that, his job was as a Levite? Yes, Asaph was a, uh, served as a musician, as a worship leader, he served during the time of David and Solomon. Uh, I think we'll have time to do this. Go to First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1, over to the left. First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 1. You've get a picture here in Psalms 16, or I'm sorry, First Chronicles 16, of what Asaph did, and he's actually mentioned in this text. They brought the ark of God and set it inside the tent that David had pitched for it, And they presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before God. Skip down to verse 4. He appointed some of the Levites, that's what Asaph was, he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to make petition, here was the job description, to minister before the ark of the Lord, to make petition, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph was the chief. And then they're they're listed, uh, the others are listed. And it says at the end of verse 5, Asaph was to sound the cymbals. Uh, go to Second Chronicles chapter 5. Second Chronicles chapter 5, verse 11 
through 14. The priests then withdrew from the holy place, and all the priests who were there had consecrated themselves, regardless of their divisions. All the Levites who were what? Musicians. And Asaph, again, is listed first. And they stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, playing cymbals, harps, and lyres. And they were accompanied by 120 priests, etc., uh, etc. Et and they, they were leading this time of praise and singing before the Lord. In fact, it says at the end of verse 13, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. Then the temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud. Don't you just love it when those experiences happen? I mean, I mean, seriously, don't you just love it when you have those times of great worship and you just feel so close to God and it's like, man, God showed up today. Isn't that good? When you, when you go home and say, I was, I was sure God showed up today. I'm telling you, it was amazing. You could just sense his presence. And that's what Asaph experienced in this text we just read. In Second Chronicles chapter 5, the, the, the glory of the Lord showed up as, they were, as he was leading in worship. Now, keep that in mind. Remember that. Did you know, we won't t- take the time to read all of them, but did you know that Asaph is credited with writing 12 psalms? He wrote 12 psalms. So here he is, he is a worship leader, he's a songwriter, he's a musician, he's a prominent leader in his day because he was called chief among the Levites. And we read about in Second Chronicles chapter 6, we read, or chapter 5, we read about his, that time where God showed up and it was an amazing experience. And yet when we read Psalm 73... Totally different experience. In Psalm 73, it's not Asaph the worship leader. In Psalm 73, it's Asaph the struggler. Asaph the man who was, had inner turmoil and struggles. And, and here's what he was basically struggling with. Psalm 73 really is, it, it deals with the age-old problem of why the righteous suffer and the ungodly seem to prosper. Psalm 73 deals with the question, why do the ungodly seem to have more money and less problems than the godly? Why is it because I'm trying to live for God, I'm trying to serve the Lord, I'm trying to tithe, I'm trying to do everything I know to do, I'm in the Bible, I'm in the Word, I'm leading to worship. Why is it that I'm trying to live right, but the ungodly seem to have more money and less problems than I do? Asaph came to the place where he became bitter about that. The worship leader. The writer of how many psalms? Twelve psalms. He became bitter about this experience. He wrestled with that question. He found himself, in some ways, wrestling with God. Have you ever wrestled with God? Now, don't answer that out loud. You ever wrestle with God? You know, I don't, of course, mean physically wrestling, but, but have you ever had those times where you really wrestled with something that you saw and you didn't like what you saw? And if you were God, you wouldn't do it that way? That was Asaph. But don't forget who he was. 
This is not somebody who just kind of comes to church occasionally and he probably doesn't know the Lord anyway. And, and he's just, you know, this was the guy who was the worship leader. This was the guy who had days where he felt so close to God that at least 12 times he, he felt so close to God. He's writing hymns and songs to God. There's a warning, warning there for all of us, isn't there? And here's the warning. The warning is, inner struggles can happen to anybody. We can all get drained. God's people and God's leader are, are subject to temptations just like anybody else. I'm going to tell you something. Listen, listen, listen. Just because uh, I got two, st- two staff, maybe three staff, just because you're on staff doesn't mean you're exempt. Just because you got REV or DR in front of your name doesn't mean you're exempt. Those who sometimes are the leaders of God's people can get drained and wonder what God's doing. That was Asaph. So let's look at his struggle. Maybe you can identify with some of this. And by the way, whether you're a worship leader or any of that doesn't matter. You can identify, I think, with what he struggled with. Again, Psalm 73, one more time. Why do the ungodly seem to have more money and less problems than the godly? Just doesn't seem fair, right? So, let's look. First of all, look on your outline. The first one, the believer. Here's the believer. The first picture we have of Asaph is a believer standing on what he knows. Write that down. He's standing on what he knows. We see five pictures of Asaph in this, in this uh, psalm. And he's standing, here's the believer, standing on what he knows. It's interesting how this psalm begins. First of all, he reminds himself that God is good. Psalm 73, verse 1. Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. Now, I find that fascinating that he mentions this. He talks about not just that God's good to Israel, but God is good to those who are, what's that word? They are pure in heart. I think probably Asaph was writing this after he had gone through this struggle, this inner struggle. Maybe by this time his heart had become pure again. But as we will see in a moment, Asaph's main problem was God. His main problem for a while was God. He was certain deep down, that the God he served, he was certain deep down that the God he served was good, but there was a time when he questioned that. There was a time when he was wrestling with God. Surely God is good to Israel, but sometimes what you know does not ease your pain or answer your questions. Surely God is good to Deep down he knew that. Deep down, that was, he understood that. He knew the Lord had made a covenant with Israel. He knew the Lord had promised blessings to Israel. He knew all about that. But if the Lord was good and kept his covenant promises, why were his, why were his people suffering and the godly, ungodly people prospering? Sometimes what you know does not ease your pain or answer your questions. 
Asaph, is God good to Israel? Absolutely, God's good to Israel. I understand that. I understand the promises of God in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. I know all about the promises of God, the blessings of God promised in that, the prosperity of God promised in Deuteronomy 28, 29, and 30. Asaph would say, I know all about that, but there's one other thing I, I, I don't know. I, though I know God is good, I don't know why God's doing what he's doing. So, we see, first of all, the believer standing on what he knows, and then next you see the doubter slipping from where he is standing. The doubter slipping from where he is standing. I I appreciate the the blatant honesty of Asaph as he writes these next words in verses 2 and 3. The the Hebrew word translated but in verse 2 indicates a, a sharp contrast. But, as for me, I know God's good, but as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The more he began to measure his situation against that of ungodly people around him, the more he began to slip from his firm foundation that God is good and that God is good to Israel. There's a difference, ladies and gentlemen, between doubt and and, and unbelief. Doubt comes from a struggling mind. Unbelief comes from a stubborn will that refuses to surrender to God. The unbelieving person will not believe while the doubting person struggles to believe. Asaph, as he looked at things, he began to struggle. And doubt. He says in verse 2, But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. And here's the reason, verse 3. For I did what? I envied. I envied the arrogant. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Can you feel that? Can you feel what he was struggling with there? Wait a minute, Asaph, you're the worship leader. You're, you're the guy who's, who's written 12 psalms. You're, you're past that, right? No. No, because when I'm struggling to pay my bills, and my kids are sick, and we have this problem and that problem, and, and, but I'm trying to live for the Lord... And then I look at other people who aren't living for the Lord and they're driving a new car and they're living in a big house and their kids are, are safe and their kids are well and I don't, they don't have the problems that I have. Asaph would say, I envied what I saw. I envied. Don't you appreciate that honesty though? I envied what I saw. Then we see the wrestler struggling with what he sees and feels. Put that on your notes. The wrestler struggling with what he sees and what he feels. Asaph understood theoretically and theologically that God was good to Israel, but he struggled to understand what he saw with his eyes and what he felt with his heart. I want you to look at verse 4. They, who is they in this text? They, who would you say they is? Yeah, the people mentioned in verse 3, the, 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 
the, the wicked the, who prosper, they have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. He's, he's taking notes, isn't he? He's looking at the people around him. And he's noticing they don't have any problems. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from the burdens common to man. They are not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace because they, they have everything they need. They have everything they want. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. And in their arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how can God know? Does the Most High have knowledge? This is what the wicked are like. Look at this. Always carefree, they increase in wealth. Here's a man who's trying his best to serve the Lord. But what he sees in the lives of others becomes an inner struggle for him. Now hear that again. What he sees in the lives of others, what he sees others that others have, what he, see, what he sees that others experience, what, what he sees others possessing becomes an inner struggle for him. What he sees in their lives becomes an inner struggle in his life. Satan has a, a way of doing that for us. Satan has a way of of bringing our faith down, not because God has been bad, not because God has abandoned us, but because the wicked have more than we have. The wicked don't have the problems that we have. Satan has a way of using even those kind of things to cause us to feel drained. You see, we don't serve God because of what we get out of it. We serve God because He's worthy but at the same time, we wonder why the others do get things out of it. He was a wrestler struggling with what he saw and what he felt. In fact, again, I like his blatant honesty in verse 13. He said, surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. This is all just a waste of time. I'm wasting my time serving the Lord. I'm wasting my time living for the Lord. I'm wasting my time believing in the Lord. Surely in vain have I kept my heart pure. In vain have I washed my hands in innocence. All day long. What's that next word? All day long what? I have been plagued. And I have been punished every morning. But thankfully, he doesn't stay there. We see next. The next picture of Asaph is the worshiper seeing the big picture. He begins to see beyond himself, and he begins to see a bigger picture. Uh, let me be very transparent with you for a moment, and I, I don't think he would mind me sharing this. Um, the very first time I ever remember reading Psalm, 70, Psalm 73 and really understanding it uh, was years ago when I was talking to my brother Larry. My brother Larry struggled with this whole concept. He was going through a tough time financially. And uh, as you know right now, his health is, is very, very bad. Uh, his, his health is, 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 who knows how long he has to live. His health is just not good at all. 
But there was a time in Larry's life years ago where he was trying his best. He was trying his best to live for the Lord. And it just seemed like everything was turning against him. It just seemed like every time he turned around, he couldn't pay his bills. He, he, couldn't, he, he, was, he couldn't buy things for his kids for Christmas. He, I mean, he just had it really, really rough there for a while. And when you begin to have it rough, one of the things you start doing is looking at others. And, and he, he was looking at others, and he became envious. Just exactly what Asaph did. He became envious, he became hard-hearted, he became angry, he became drained spiritually. And I worried about my brother because I, I didn't know what to say to him, I didn't know what to do for him, I didn't know how to help him. I, and then one day in that time I found Psalm 73. And I thought, Larry wrote that psalm. I mean, that's just, that's Larry. That's what he's feeling. That's what he's experiencing. That's what he's going through. And I tell you that story to tell you this. It's not unusual if you're feeling that too. On one level, surely God is good to Israel. We know that, right? But on a whole nother level, we can have the inner struggles that drain us. And we get so empty, so dead. But thankfully, we begin to see a picture of Asaph, the worshiper, seeing the bigger picture. Verse 15. He says, if I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. I just couldn't understand it. I couldn't understand it, he said, until, verse 17. Till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. He said, once I got into the sanctuary one day, I began to understand. The more Asaph pondered the problem and the thought of walking away from God, the more his heart was pained. So he decided one day to go to the sanctuary. He decided to go where he, where he should be going. He decided to spend time in the, with the Lord in worship. And there he would be with other people who hear the word of God, who sing the praises of God. There he would be part of God's people again. And ladies and gentlemen, listen to this. It's often in worship that we see things we haven't seen before. It's often in worship that God gives us a different perspective. It is often in worship where God gives us a, a picture of the, or a, a glance of the bigger picture. Asaph realized that what he saw in the lives of the prosperous, ungodly picture was not a true picture of what they really had or what they would experience. Asaph saw what they were facing. He said in verse 17, till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground, you cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. As a dream when one awakes, so when you arise, O Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. 
When my heart was grieved, he says in verse 21, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Again, I just, I love the, the honesty here. He said, my heart was grieved. My spirit was embittered. I, I had become a bitter man. I was senseless and ignorant. In other words, I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. God, I'm sorry. I didn't have a clue what I was talking about. Asaph was humbled before the Lord and he regained his spiritual balance. You know what he saw? He saw that basically all these things that the wicked have, they won't always have. They're facing a final destiny very different from his final destiny. They might, have a little, uh, they might have a bag of gold right now. But one day he's going to be walking on streets of gold. He saw the bigger picture. He saw that these people who have it all right now won't have anything one day when God comes back. And so we see finally the last picture of Asaph, the conqueror rejoicing over God's goodness. Verse 23, yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. Now, now don't miss what he said in the previous verse. Previous two verses. In verse 21, he said, I was grieved. My spirit was embittered. In verse 22, he, he says, I was senseless. I was ignorant. I was a brute beast. Verse 23, he says, And yet, you hold my right hand. You hold my right hand. Even in those times when I'm senseless, in those times when I'm a brute beast, in those times when I'm embittered, in those times when I'm angry, in those times when when I'm just not a very nice person to be around. God, you hold my right hand. I don't know about you, I am grateful God does that. I'm, I'm great. Put your hand out here. I can do this. She's my wife. I'm grateful that God doesn't do this. I'm done with you. But he says, God, when I was embittered, when I was angry, when I was upset, when I was a brute beast, you hold my right. Where did he get that that perspective, church? In worship. Verse 23, Yet I am always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into your glory. Into glory. That's not going to be the experience of the ungodly. That is not going to be. They may have a lot right now but they're facing eternal damnation. And afterward, you will take me into glory. He got a bigger picture. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. Wait a minute, that's not what you were saying 20 minutes ago. You wanted what they had. But he came to the point where he realized 
It's just not what I really need. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all of your deeds. Could could I make a suggestion to you? Uh, May I suggest to you that, especially if this is an issue that you have struggled with in the past or that you perhaps are struggling with right now, especially if you find yourself being drained with inner struggles of one form or another, uh, could I suggest to you that maybe you underline or highlight verse 28, but as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. The words of the Hebrew writer serve as a final exhortation for us. Go over to the New Testament for a moment. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll close with this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that, watch this, and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Be careful. Don't let bitterness, the inner struggles of life, cause you turmoil. But if it does, go back to Psalm 73 and declare This is God-breathed. Thankfully, God allowed Asaph to record his struggles so that I'd know what to do when I struggle. Amen? Amen. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you love us and that even in those times when we wonder why you don't do what we think you ought to do, uh, you don't let go of our right hand. In those times when inwardly we are drained, Inwardly, we are struggling with what we see and what we feel. Thank you, Lord, that you do not let go of our right hand. And in those times when we are angry and bitter, thank you, Lord, that you do not let go of our right hand. And I pray for anyone here tonight who may need to live in verse 28 and declare that in spite of what we see, in spite of what we feel, in spite of what we think, it is good for us to be near the Lord. And we declare Him to be our refuge. We're grateful for Your Word, thankful for Your Spirit. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.